This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. I'm so excited to show you some of the items that we have taken out from the 8,000 historic items that we have in the vault to try to tell history in a different way and to show you or to get you to think, who would I be in that situation? I have thought of heroes differently, um, and I hope to challenge you to um, think of what kind of hero you would be in tough times, what you would do, and, and beyond that, to perhaps give people a break because maybe we're missing something. This is one of my favorite pictures. Um, this is the picture um, I bought from my family, I don't know, four or five years ago. And I challenged each member of the family to read a book about uh, righteous of the nations, one person that saved a Jew in World War II, and decide who they were going to be then, before trouble starts, before you have me, before you're pushed up on the wall. If you know who you are before trouble comes, you're not going to have a problem with it. I, I've always wanted to be him. This is Corey Tenboom, um, and this is her father. And I thought, if I could be Corey Tenboom's father, if I could be the dad who taught my daughters and my son um, how to have courage and the difference between right and wrong, I would be a hero in my way. Tonight, I want to talk to you about three very different people. A, uh, a guy who is a pacifist who's responsible for this bloody napkin. A guy who absolutely hated Hitler. This is his personal signed copy from Adolf Hitler of Mein Kampf. And a conductor you've never heard of. But I contend it's because he didn't die. Tonight, the baton, the book, and the napkin. So before we start here, I, I tried to make a list of what does it take to be a hero? And I, I'm not sure. I, I, I wrote these first two, courage and correct principles, and then I said honor and humility, but I don't think you need them. I think all you need is courage and correct principles, because if you have courage and incorrect principles, you can become a monster. If you have correct principles and the courage to stand up for those principles, I don't think you need any more. But I want to show you that when the world goes insane, it goes slowly. Um, it, it, people are duped 
into it. It may seem, I'm going to tell you some stories tonight, that you've never heard these before. You've, you might have heard of these three guys, at least two of the three, but you've never heard the truth of how insane Germany went as quickly as it did and how many people stood back. Correct principles and courage. All right, let me give you three people that I think all three had tremendous courage. And I'm going to make, this is so controversial, I'm going to make a case that all three of these guys did not have correct principles at the very beginning. They had a piece of correct principles at the very beginning. Because Wilhelm Furtwangler, um, von Stauffenberg, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, all three of these guys were not talking about the crimes against humanity that would come later. When they first started, um, they all had their own sphere of influence and their own thing that they were worried about. For instance, Wilhelm Furtwangler. Uh, I have, I've, for the last two weeks, I've practically lived with this guy, and I really like him, strangely. I'm not sure if he's a good guy yet. I, I don't know. Um, I think he is. He was the conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic. He was um, the greatest conductor, they say, to ever live. And uh, he was a guy that uh, believed in art. And he believed that uh, it, what was important was um, music of Beethoven and, and Mozart and Wagner. It would stir the soul. And it was the soul of Germany that was in trouble. The warrior was von Stauffenberg. He was a nationalist. He didn't have correct principles. He was a nationalist, and, and he, he wanted to return the honor of the crown, but at first he was fighting for Hitler. He wasn't fighting for the big principles of life. He wasn't fighting for it either. And Bonhoeffer was fighting at the very beginning just for the church. He wasn't talking about anything else that was going on. He was talking about the church. And what was happening at the church at the time was unbelievable. He was fighting for the church, the freedom to preach Christ, and to hold on to the whole Bible. I'm going to start with him. We're going to start with the priest, because his story uh, is not really told at least in the way that I want you to understand it and what he was fighting for. So let's start with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. When you think of um, Germany and the, um, the problems of anti-Semitism, you think that this is a Hitler problem, and someday um, we want to do a show in the vault. I- I'll-, I'll take you back to Abraham uh, and show you the roots of anti-Semitism, it, it is a never-ending uh, uh, story. The, the first Jews to wear the Star of David on their, uh, on their clothing, that wasn't started by the Germans. I think that was started by the Persians, who also made Jews wear bells on their feet so you could hear them coming. In Germany, um, it started long before Hitler. This is just one example. 
This is a broadside um, that was put out in the town in Germany in 1760. So before we were even a country, they were saying, hey, Jews are coming in and they're giving a bunch of false money. So be careful of those Jews and where you keep them in your neighborhood. So it wasn't something that it was, it was new. Um, and maybe perhaps that's why these three men didn't speak out first about anti-Semitism because it was normal in Germany and people had started to be dehumanized because of, of Nietzsche and Darwin. And once you start to dehumanize people, it's not far from this. This is a uh, whip that was just made from a broom handle uh, from the camp of Auschwitz used to... Um, whip Jews and others on their way to death. So let's put ourselves back into the mindset of 1933, before the camps were built, um, before anybody thought, I mean, remember, Time Magazine is even saying that um, fascism is the new way. It's the, it's the, 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 the new kind of government. It's going to be efficient. It's going to be quick. It's going to be able to help people. The very first thing the Nazis um, put into play was welfare. They wanted to make sure that they could take care of people. And so the very first item that they started moving towards was welfare. And so just like today, if a Nazi or somebody would come up, but not a Nazi, somebody who's definitely not a Nazi, um, people would say in our society, that's crazy, they're not going to do those things, that's, that's nuts. So you've got to put yourself in that mindset, 1933. You have no idea who Adolf Hitler is. Bonhoeffer does. Bonhoeffer has an idea, this guy's really, really bad. Um, and the reason why he's bad is he, in the 1930s, was running... Uh, as a Christian. But Bonhoeffer could look at what Hitler was saying and say, that's not really correct. But the people, because of the Weimar Republic, had gone so dark inside. Boy, does any of this sound familiar. So dark inside. Their society had gone so off the rails. Um, sex was rampant. The, the cabarets were, were rampant. Um, anything went, homosexuality, any kind of perversion that people wanted to engage in, they would engage in. That made the people of faith very uncomfortable. But because of World War I, they had lost all of their, their spirit of their country. They had been ground into dust. So they were demoralized. They were hungry, their money was worthless, and crime and sex and drugs was everywhere. So here comes Hitler, somebody that only really about 20% of the population even like. Most people think he's nuts. They don't like him at all. They don't want him. But he says in 1930, I'm going to clean it up, and we're going to return Christ to his pot proper place. And so Christians hear this. And they think, this is great. Now, when I say Christians, not Christians who are actually living their faith. Bonhoeffer is living his faith. He's hearing the subtle differences. He's actually hearing what Hitler is saying. And he's saying, that's not Christianity, but it's good enough for 80% of the Christians. 
1933, he becomes Chancellor and Fuhrer. He's done this through the Night of Long Knives, which we'll have to do a show on, where he kills a lot of people. It breaks all the laws in the Constitution, but he does it for the German people, and the German people cheer. About two weeks after he is in office, Bonhoeffer does a radio address where he talks about the Fuhrer principle and how wrong the Fuhrer principle is. He says... The Führer is more of a Verführer, which is um, uh, a con artist, um, uh, an anti-leader, an anti-Führer, and not somebody that can be trusted at all. So the Verführer, he starts to say, you're being swindled, you're being conned. Halfway through that sermon on radio, the broadcast is cut. This is 1933, and this sets the stage for Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his struggle. But again, he's not struggling at first for all of humanity. He is struggling for the church because he sees what's happened to the church already. Now, this happened early in 1933, in January. By July of 1933, um, Hitler says there has to be new, um, uh, a, a new convention called for a new constitution for the churches. This is completely unconstitutional. Hitler has no right to do it, but he's the Fuhrer. And he says, we need new blood in the church. We need German blood. We need Deutschland Christians. And so he has these church elections, which are completely rigged, and his... Nazis get in. Bonhoeffer had been fighting against these elections the whole time, but by September, after these new guys get into all of the churches, all of the new Nazis, they pass their first resolution, which is um, an Aryan resolution, that there there isn't allowed to be anybody who is um, a pastor, a priest, or any hierarchy of the church at all that is, has any kind of Jewish descent. This sends Bonhoeffer off the deep end because what is the purpose of baptism? Now, me, I look at this, and I, here's one place where I can say, wow, <laughs> he doesn't get it. How, how is Bonhoeffer hailed as a hero when he's saying, yeah, 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 the, kill the Jews, whatever. But, but this guy's no longer a Jew because of baptism. So he has some correct principles, but not the big picture that he'd have in 1945. And he's saying this is making a mockery of baptism because nobody is killing the Jews yet. Right around this time, within a month of this, there is also a huge rally of German Deutschland Christians And these German Christians, 20,000 of them, gather in a square. And they are protesting the Bible. 20,000 people who are Christians, devout Christians, are protesting the Bible because they say the Jewish part needs to be removed. I'm pretty sure that's all of it. But they just said that it was the Old Testament. When I started doing my homework and I looked 
that number up. It's not just the 20,000 people. Only 20% of Christians in Germany in 1933, because of the number that Adolf Hitler had done in two short years, only 20% believed that the Old Testament should be included in the Bible and that Christ was the head of the church. Who's the head of the church? The state. Adolf Hitler. Only 20% believed that Christ was the head of the church. Bonhoeffer knew if you lose the church, if you lose the ability to preach Christ, if you lose the whole Bible, if you lose Christ as the head of the church, Germany has nothing left. So where does he go? What does he do? Well, the first thing he does is leave. And then he regrets it. I'm going to skip an awful lot of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life, um, but I want to bring you back to an important part of his life later. And then we're going to take you to von Stauffenberg, and then my new favorite figure from history, Mr. Furtwängler, is that you? Or as my kids like to call him, Fart Wrangler, but that would be childish to point out in such a place like the vault. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer is on the mission of Christ. It's 1933, turns into 1935. By 1935, all of Bonhoeffer's uh, friends... Uh, have either been arrested or they have been uh, or they have left the country, and now he is doing um, a seminary on the run. Now he is going all through East Germany in the cover of darkness, and he is preaching Christ, and he is trying to um, gather the church back together and say, "No, no, Hitler's not the head of the church." Um, he knows that he can't take an oath to Hitler. He's a pacifist, so he can't go into the army and shoot anybody. And he knows that both of those things, with 80% of the Christians in Germany, will go awry, because 80% of the Christians now believe that Hitler is the head of the church and not Christ. They want the Bible thrown out. And he won't do something simple. He won't say these words. I swear by God this sacred oath that I shall render unconditional obedience to Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer of the German Reich, supreme commander of the armed forces, and I shall at all times be prepared as a brave soldier to give my life for this oath. He knows he'll take that oath for God, but he will not take that oath for a man and Adolf Hitler. So what does he do? He's outnumbered in his own people. He decides to go to New York. He knows this is a mistake. He's, he's already been to London in 33. By 35, he, they're closing in on him, and he doesn't know what to do. He goes to New York, and he's going to stay in New York and ride it out in New York. But as soon as he gets there, almost as soon as he gets there, he knows this is wrong, and he has to come back. He takes the very last boat coming back to Europe. And he gets onto that ship, and he knows that every Bonhoeffer has been 
um, run out of Germany, escaped, now working with the Nazis, and he's going to be wildly alone. So what he decides to do is go back and talk to his brother-in-law. Now, his brother-in-law um, works for um, Abwer, I think is what it was called. It's the, the military intelligence for Germany. And most people don't know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer becomes a spy for the Germans. So wait a minute. I just want to look. Again, we're condemning people or saying that they're heroes. For what reason? Because they're absolutely clean. They've done something heroic. Well, he becomes a spy. Now, he's a spy because he knows he can't be drafted if he's a spy. He knows his brother-in-law is going to help him out. And he also knows he can travel around and be a double spy. So he's a double spy for a little while. He contacts the British. The British want nothing to do with the German underground. They want to destroy all Nazis. They don't trust him. He uses this network, though, to get Jews out of Switzerland, does some pretty um, miraculous things. Um, He's arrested, however. They figure this out, and he's thrown in prison. But it's regular prison. It's, It's not a concentration camp yet until they find out that he is involved with the warrior on our board, the nationalist, the, the guy who was looking for the honor of the crown to return to Germany, von Stauffenberg. He is involved in the plot on Hitler's life that ends with Hitler living, but barely. This is the napkin um, that was somewhere in the room with Hitler. They say that this is Hitler's blood. I have not had it tested. I don't know if we could. Um, but this looks a lot like Hitler's pants. His pants were almost blown clean off. He sent them to his girlfriend, Eva Braun, as a gift to her. Oh, oh Adolf, thank you for your pants that were blown off today. Um, he goes to jail. Um, you also will find out that von Stauffenberg is killed. We'll get back to him in a second. But he goes to jail. When Valkyrie happens, that's when he goes to a concentration camp. He's assigned a number, and he's assigned a badge. We all know about the, we all know about the Jewish stars that were given, or the pink triangles, or the red triangles for political dissidents. But he was given a purple triangle, which meant that he was a Bible scholar or uh, somebody who didn't agree that, you know, Christ was the head of the church. But in jail, he does remarkable things. He writes a letter uh, for, his, um, uh, for his sister, who is getting married. And it is one of the most beautiful letters I have ever read. It is a letter about marriage. This is actually a copy of it that I made and gave it to my daughter and my son-in-law as their wedding present. It is stunning what he wrote from a prison camp. This brings us to a point in the story where we have to talk about von Stauffenberg for a second. Looking at these three men, Furt Wangler, um, von Stauffenberg, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I believe all heroes in different ways. I, I believe that one of them is a contested hero. 
Two of them are known, but two of them died for their cause. Bonhoeffer and uh, von Stauffenberg. This is a copy of von Stauffenberg's, uh, his copy of Mein Kampf, uh, signed and given to him by Adolf Hitler. Never read. Not a page out. The guy was not a Nazi. Von Stauffenberg, however, was just looking for a return to the former glory, that nationalist glory of, of Germany. And he knew in the end that Hitler was going to kill everybody and would destroy the German people. His last words when he was arrested after planting the bomb and trying to uh, have a coup against Adolf Hitler with Project Valkyrie was, Long live our blessed Germany. And they shot him. His heroism is pretty easy to spot, but he was really kind of just doing his job. He took an oath, yes, to Hitler, but his real oath was to the idea of Germany and what he believed Germany was. So he was the most obvious of heroes. What happened to him and his brother was horrific. His brother was also part of the plot. His brother was actually killed over and over and over again for Hitler's pleasure. They filmed his execution. They strangled him to death. And as he died, they brought him back. And then they strangled him to death. And then they brought him back and strangled him to death. They only did that for the viewing pleasure of Adolf Hitler, who was so enraged that he wanted to see them suffer. But the... The hero that I want to really show to you tonight is not the obvious one. And you'll have to decide, was he a hero or a villain? He was a guy that understood the culture of Germany. He was a man who said that the culture uh, was, was paramount. And if you lost the culture of Germany, you'd lose the heart of Germany. Many people think he was a villain. Others don't. They believe he was a villain, many people, because of this song. A song that was played right after Hitler died. He didn't write it. He didn't even perform it live. They played this recording right after they announced Hitler's death on Berlin Radio. This is the music that was played when they announced Adolf Hitler's death. Five days before Dietrich Bonhoeffer had been executed. This was not written for Adolf Hitler. This was actually written, uh, I believe, on the death of Wagner. This wasn't performed for Hitler's death. This was just simply a recording that Wilhelm Furtwangler had conducted the Berlin Symphony Orchestra. He's a tough one to figure out. I'm not sure if he's a hero. He's not a villain, but he may be a hero. I'm not sure. I've put a call in to um, the Simon Wiesenthal Center. And we have been going over the records of the Nuremberg trials. 
And one of the reasons why he went to trial in Nuremberg after the war was because of this song. Ferd Wongler was, at the time, probably the most famous of any conductors, um, of anybody in the world. Everybody knew who he was. Um, and he loved music. In fact, this is where I think people don't understand. He loved the German music. He loved Mozart and Beethoven and, and Wagner. Uh, and he felt that music was the soul of the German people. And he felt the German people's soul was at stake. In 1933, when Hitler took over, he was very clear that Hitler was a bad guy. He said he was a, an enemy of the human race. Um, he was uh, a pigsty. Um, he said much worse. In fact, some of it he said to Hitler's face and, and Goebbels. But in 1933 the Jewish question was starting to rear its ugly head and they wanted to get Jews out of the Philharmonic. And some of the best musicians in the Philharmonic at that time were Jews. And he wrote an open letter, um, an op-ed to Goebbels. And in it, he, he said of the Jewish question that it is a race of brilliant people, that he would have to quit the Philharmonic because it would be impossible to do his job without the Jews. But not quite just that. He also said some other things. Um, he said, my feelings in this are purely those of an artist. The function of art and artists is to bring together, not to separate. In the final analysis, I recognize only one line of division, and that between good and bad art. And I think this is why people have a problem with him. Because he never really differentiated... If you were a concert pianist and Jewish, he would fight to get you out and fight to save you and fight to move you across state lines and get you to safety in Switzerland. He did. He actually... He saved a friend, a, a, a nephew of one of the talented artists in the symphony. He actually got that kid out of Dachau, got him to safety. But did he do it because he was Jewish and he was fighting against this monster of humanity? Or did he do it because he was fighting for music? And that's all he cared about. That is the question that haunts uh, the memory of Furtwangler um, yet today. Not sure. I will tell you that he had unbelievable courage. Remember at the beginning of the show, I wrote up on the chalkboard, courage, correct principles, honor, humility. He didn't have humility. Um, I think he had honor, but did he have the correct principles? He was allowed to live, um, even though he called Himmler, who was the head of the SS, and he didn't know it in 1933. He didn't know who Himmler was, and he was Furtwangler. He was the guy who everybody knew. And so he called when 
um, the SS was saying, we've got to get rid of all of the Jews. He called them up in the middle of the night and said, how dare you? You're not doing that. You're not taking any of my people and chewed him out. Himmler said, don't you know who I am? He said, no, and I don't care. He should have because he made a, a grave enemy of the head of the Gestapo in 1933. And Himmler, when he heard in 34 uh, that Ferdbongler had said, Hitler is an enemy of the human race, Hitler was told by Himmler he belongs in a concentration camp. But that's not the first or last time that somebody had said that to Adolf Hitler. In fact, uh, Adolf Hitler himself said that to Furtwängler uh, later in 1935. Um, Himmler had spies throughout the orchestra, and um, and Furtwängler had said that anybody who's in power right now in Germany, everybody who has power should be shot, and that's the only way that this thing is ever going to be fixed is when all those people die. The SS officers started to lick their lips at that. And on top of it, he had already helped Jewish people get out of the country. He had stood up for his uh, uh, Jewish um, uh, concert and philharmonic players. Um, He had said that he would never, ever um, play the Jewish national anthem, the Nazi anthem. Um, uh, He had stuck a finger in the eye of the state many, many times. In fact, when they annexed Austria, he wouldn't play in any country that they had um, taken. Um, He wouldn't be used as propaganda. And uh, he did a couple of times. I believe it was in Hungary where he played some of the Hungarian folk music against Hitler. Hitler thought that was ghastly music that um, was, uh, you know, written by inbreds. And he played it. In fact, because of Furtwängler, a lot of that music was saved. But when they annexed Austria, he was asked to go and play. And he did only to save the music and the orchestra. Later, he actually saved the life of the Jewish conductor. But he went, and when he was playing there, um, they had the Nazi flag up on the stage. And before the concert, he said, I will not play as long as that rag is here in my concert hall. When Hitler heard that, that was the end. Hitler said that he was going to have him play at his birthday. The problem is, This is before the attempt on Hitler's life. Furtwängler was a very good friend of von Stauffenberg. In fact, a good friend of von Stauffenberg and also in the same circle with uh, Bonhoeffer. In fact, the orchestra was a meeting place. The concerts were a meeting place for that ring that was about to try to assassinate Adolf Hitler. And every time... Hitler was going to use him as propaganda. Every time there was an important concert for him to give, he'd suddenly get sick. Who was the doctor? The doctor uh, of von Stauffenberg and a good friend of von Stauffenberg. But it caught up at him at the end. It was Hitler's birthday. 
And he said, you are going to be used as propaganda. This is Adolf Hitler and, and Furt von Luren. They're standing there and you will be used as propaganda. You are going to play at my birthday and you are going to be photographed and you are going to give the salute. He said, I will not. I will not. The people in the room said they had never heard anyone say no to Adolf Hitler. Hitler didn't know what to say, how to even react. He said, I warn you, sir. I have a concentration camp waiting for you. Imagine the bravery that it took to look Adolf Hitler in the eye and say, well then, sir, I guess I shall find myself in good company. Those who saw that conversation said they held their breath. Hitler was so stunned, he turned around and walked away. Now, he did play the birthday concert, but Goebbels and Himmler were bound and determined to use this famous global star as propaganda. And so they tried many different things. Uh, they tried to capture him in a picture here. Uh, uh, here he's shaking the hand of Himmler. Wasn't good enough. Uh, here he is talking with Adolf Hitler before a performance. Not good enough. This, they almost had him the time before. It all came down to his baton. His baton, <clears throat> he, would, uh, he would carry his baton in his right hand to conduct, or his left hand. But you could give the Hitler salute with your right. He knew Hitler was coming in. And just before he said, I will not give the salute to Adolf Hitler. And one of the men in the violin section suggested, Herr Furtwangler, why not move your baton to your right hand? Surely the Fuhrer will understand. And so if you see, he has his baton at the very beginning of the concert. What happened? Uh, Hitler walked in. He stood there with his baton in this hand. Everyone gave the salute. Hitler stared at him. Furtwangler nodded and began to conduct. His conducting hand was usually this hand. But Hitler, you see here, Hitler um, figured it out. This was the next concert. He did the same thing with the baton. This time he walked up, began to give the salute. Furtwangler just reached out and shook his hand. It was this and this song that put him on trial for two years. Hitler died. He said, I was not a Nazi. They had no evidence at his trial, but he went to the Nuremberg trials. Uh, he had plenty of people testifying for him on his behalf, including some Jewish people that said, he saved my life. He was definitely not a Nazi. But because of this song and that photograph, the world is still a little confused. They don't know. But I think I do. And I want to share 
what I think I get from all three of these guys. Next. So what does it take to stand against the tide? Courage and correct principles. Did these guys have it? Because Furt Vogler was, was going for music. He was going for honor of the motherland. And he was going for Christ. He is the most, the clearly the, the biggest hero here. He was doing his job. He was doing his job. But what he felt was music softened the soul. Music, if you read his words, he felt the Germans were losing their soul and they were going hard. And he said, I could have left. I could have left. Everybody left. I, I, didn't, I didn't say they were bad for leaving. Why are they saying I was bad for staying? I felt I had to keep people's hearts soft. I had to stir them with music. He believed this was noble music. And so he was trying to keep people's hearts soft, doing his part. He was doing his job, and he was doing his job. They were all trying to save the same thing, each in their own way. The real soul, the soul of his country, and people's soul through music. So, I guess the question is, who will you be? I find it difficult to think of being any of these people. I hope we don't have to go through times like this, but the world always does. Who will you be? And you don't have to be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You don't have to be a warrior. You could be an artist. You could be playing your role in your job. It is a little like an orchestra. We have different sections that play different parts of the music, and they're each important, each in their own way. It's fascinating to me that he's known as a hero, he's known as a hero, and he's out in question. But the plot that these two planned to kill Hitler happened at his concerts. It takes a whole bunch of players to make a symphony, to hold a country together, or to pull off a revolution. You know, Bonhoeffer, there's great books out about him. Uh, there is a movie out about von Stauffenberg. But almost everything that was done by Furtwangler was done in concert. It's amazing because music will soothe the savage. It will stir you. Um, give you courage. But it can't give you correct principles. The artist and the warrior can't. And what is amazing to me, you want to know why Germany went into so much trouble, is 
80% of the priests couldn't give you correct principles either. Even the very elect will be fooled. Correct principles and courage from the vault. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine. And they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep. Casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn. $50 off the purchase of your mattress at Casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress. Casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply.